multiple reasons <laughs> you guys can't see this but christian has a nice little turtleneck yeah. on nice blazer shark. yeah i got the text this morning that frank was sick and i thought it was pretty convenient that it was also on the day that i plan on proposing so Ooh. i plan on proposing tonight usually i'm just the voice in the background you know sometimes asking the question that i feel like needs to be asked he asks the thought-provoking questions so from the back you know uh you ever watch uh, brick and jubal Mm-hmm. You know that guy laughing in the background, the kind of obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know the guy. That, that's me. The interview been right. <laughs> yes. That's you and I. That's us. How are you, brother? I am doing great. Well, let's give him a proper introduction. Oh, oh let's go. Oh, okay. Who do we have here today, Christian? We have the one and only Mr. White Center himself, Viking grad, but what? most importantly, Wolverine alum. All day, every day. Heck yeah. Former executive director of uh, AS Pop, AS oh. yeah, Productions. Yeah, 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 you know, AS Productions at Western Washington University. Um, also, Highline uh, School Board Director. Position one? Yes, sir. Yeah, V1. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Position so, one. Uh, position one, it represents District one, the finest district of all the districts, <laughs> uh, which is mostly White Center and a little bit of Burien. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also now the board president. Oh. Yup. Mr. President himself. Let's go. Aaron. The list just keeps Garcia. going. Garcia. My guy. How are, uh, now, how are you doing? I am doing amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, I got a lot going on, so I'm a little busy. Yeah, if you really need to catch my guy, just come to one of the Evergreen sports games, specifically baseball. He'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> you can complain all you like. Yup. I'll have some uh, coffee if you want. We can chat it up. We'll figure out what's going on. What are some things that me as a, a, a representative of the school dris- district, what can I be advocating for? Making sure I'm amplifying the voice of the community. Because um, that's what it's about. Tell us a little bit more about um, your upbringing in White Center. Mm. You can start as early as you want, in the middle. Um, yeah, the origin story. Yeah. We're going to go back. Um What's important to highlight? Um, so I'm the youngest of three siblings. I'm the baby. And my family, uh, I know you guys already talked a little bit about this with my bro, but my family came from Guadalajara, Mexico uh, when I was like two or three years old. So I was a little thing. And in my like early adolescent, like little one years, I'm trying to think of what's important. Um, 
So I, I attended Shorewood Elementary School, and I think what's really important to highlight about that is Shorewood, unlike some of the other schools in uh, White Center, was probably not the most diverse school growing up. Uh, so I had a very unique experience, and I, uh, I didn't realize it then, but naturally I was gravitating towards other students of color. Um, and that, those were like some of my homies that I was growing up, but I also had like really strong relationships with a lot of white peers. Um, and what, the reason I share this is it was really interesting because all of the students of color kept going to Cascade and Evergreen, whereas my white peers, it was really interesting, like half of them cut off at Cascade mm -hmm. and then the rest of them cut off and went to Kennedy. So, that, you know, as we talk about like decisions that people make around uh, community schools and local schools and public schools, that's like a really interesting point that I've noticed. There was just different pathways for different students. Um, so yeah, just we'll talk more about that in regards to like schools and systems change later. But growing up, yeah, um, it was so unique. And I remember when I was in middle school, my parents, they gave me the option. They brought up the idea, hey, you know, would you be interested in going to um, to Kennedy? And part of me was like, oh, you know, that that's interesting. I got a lot of my peers growing up uh, who ended up going there. And I was like, no, nope, I really... I really appreciated what I was, the experience that I was getting at Cascade, and I ended up deciding to go to Evergreen, and I'm so happy. But it was different. Like, I'm blessed about my experience at Evergreen. You have so much Evergreen pride. So much. This man usually wears green, the same green, no. You have, like, the same green yep. shirt, but it's, it's different. So I own, <coughs> at this point, five of the same green plaid shirt. You're like a cartoon oh, yeah, character. Yep. Mm. <laughs> it's my brand. My, my niece actually bought me a green shirt for Christmas this year. I love that. Year. So that's what I'm trying to go for, consistency. Mm -hmm. I say this all the time. I say this all the time. I feel like you've heard this story so much. When I was, I'm going to make this quick. When uh, I first stepped onto campus at Western, um, I was saying hi to the homie Alex Ray. Yeah. And Carrie was introducing our one of our mutual, me and Aaron's mutual uh, mentors. Uh, Carrie was taking me around the campus um, along with Ahmed. Mm -hmm. and, and Ahmed says, what's up to Alex? And I look and there's this big poster of Aaron uh, running for president, AS president. And I, and I always say... Wait, like, did Aaron go to Western before you? Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was there for, um, for one year while I was there. So oh, my freshman okay. year, he was still there. And, um, and I said to myself, I was like, yep. By the end of my tenure here, I'm gonna I'm gonna run for president. Do it. I, I didn't do that, but <laughs> I always, you know, it that pride. I think um, being from White Center, being an Evergreen alum, um, especially in a place where uh, parents don't have as much access to support uh, community-wise. I mean, we have either you know it's a lot of language barriers. We have um, parents who just don't have the time. Um, it, there's a lot of uh, socioeconomic factors, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, in a lot of ways, it's alum who are really like, I mean, you and Pat were involved with the Booster, um, CDA, Yes Foundation, trying to step in to provide all our kids with, you know, opportunities. For sure. Yeah. Some that we had and some that we didn't. Yeah. And one of the things I'll maybe harp on a little bit later, but I really think is important. Um, that, that year when I ran for president, I lost. Um, and I like to say this because I lost twice. I ran for uh, AS president two times and lost both times. But something that I really try to live in my life is to lean into those 
failures and to take away the opportunities and to learn about it and just be enjoy the opportunities that came from it. So because I lost, I ended up getting a different role at Western AIDS Productions. And I honestly think like this is where you go back and say the, this was meant to be because AS Productions allowed me to do event planning at like a large scale. We got to do these crazy concerts and to be able to supervise and support a team of people to do that prepared me for a lot of the work that I was, I'm doing now. That otherwise, and maybe I would have gotten a whole other set of skill sets had I been elected president. But yeah, I don't like to shy away from my failures. I fail often, I fail a lot, and I think it's so important to start um, sharing that because I want to tell young people to not be afraid to take those chances to, to dream big uh, because it's okay if it doesn't come out the way you want it to, but you're going to learn so much, gain so much, and you're going to grow from it. But, you know, what was it? Michael Scott said, you miss 100% shots <laughs> that you don't take. Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, you said you failed twice, but the third time is a charm, right? Third time is no, a charm. I never, no, I never oh, so got you it. never got the president. I never got the president. Well, I'm talking I, about the third time you ran for something. Hey. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about the W you did take. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I am fortunate because, yeah, I had to run for uh, the local school board position. And for those of you who don't know, the way we have it set up in the state of Washington is we, the people, get to control our education system. And every four years, we get to elect representatives. You don't got to have an education background, a professional background. You can be a parent. You can be anyone uh, so that we get to control our school district and make sure that it's doing the work that we want it to do as a community. Um, and I was fortunate enough. It was crazy, uh, but I was fortunate enough to be elected on behalf of the White Center community and the greater Highline community to represent District 1. Um, and let me tell you, elections and campaigning is a trip. It's a lot of work. I can understand why there's not a lot of people like us in these seats of power, because it takes time, it takes money, and if you're already, already trying to do your own thing on the side just to survive, it's hard. Um, and you don't get paid. Like This is one of the things I tell people People are like, oh, you must not work anymore, right? Because you're doing the school board thing. It's like, nope. They, they, you get a, an annual four thousand uh, dollar stipend for all the work that you do. So you don't, you don't get paid. Uh, Wait, on the school board? Yep. Like you don't get a salary? No, you, nope. But you get a, how much you is get that stipend? Four thousand dollars. I didn't know that. Four K. Mm. So you got to do. Break that down. That's not a lot. Yeah, you're doing a, a part time job for not a lot of money. So the board of directors is not a full time job. Correct. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm. And that's why it's so hard for, you know, to have actual representation because you really have to commit a lot of your time yeah. and sacrifice a lot just to be able to be in that position to do that kind of work. And that's why you end up getting a lot of people who are retired or maybe, you know, a little bit older and they have more flexibility with their work. Um, but, you know, if you're someone who's a little like yeah I'm not young but I'm I'm in my 30s and it's hard because it does take up a lot of time to be able to dedicate so it's a trip we're proud of you thank we're you we're thankful for you I'm thankful for my community that's keeping me accountable in this kind of role I kind of met Pat and Aaron at the same time um during high school Aaron I met Aaron um you're a college and career specialist at yep. the time, right? There's this little room where all the kids went to after school. Aaron always had snacks. Um, it's just where like students went before they did sports because everybody ever green did sports. Um, and you worked on homework. And yeah, and you worked on homework and other stuff too. <laughs> but that's how I met Aaron. He just was always down to help you. And um, I think what you were saying earlier is why you're so relatable to students is because 
the way you teach is through your own failures. Like, you're very relatable. You're just like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. We, we might not know the answers right now, but we'll find out. Um, I remember doing college applications with you, and you said, I don't know the answer now, but we can just Google it. And so we just spend time Googling things, or we just talk through things. So you're basically my mentor, like every Evergreen student's mentor, all my friends. That's how they know you, through the College and Career Center. You just help however you can, and it's pretty cool that I consider you a friend now, from mentor to, like, a friend. You know, can you also talk a little bit about wrestling? Because I think there's a, a theme between all oh, three yeah. of us and the wrestling team. Oh, yeah, we have so much in common. Um, I was also on the wrestling team, and Aaron was a, um, were you, like, an assistant coach? Well, yeah, assistant volunteer coach. Yeah. Um, you didn't coach me directly because you're more like the... The big guys. The big guys. <laughs> <laughs> the heavies, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I always hear this story. I, I wish I saw it, but didn't somebody throw you? Oh, it happened all the time, but yeah. <laughs> was it Vincent who was upset? <sighs> yep. So there's these, like, these brothers who, like, was Jeremiah? Jeremiah he's like a Vincent. Sweet, he's like a gentle he's a giant. bear. Yeah, well, both of them are, mm. but Vincent had a temper, and I heard that one time he got really upset, and <laughs> Fernando tells this story really well. Fernando used to be a wrestler, too. He went to Taiyi. Um, he just said he saw, like, Vincent throw you across the room. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> um, I, I don't even remember, but I think this is a really important, um, one of the points is Vincent, he was a freshman, right? Yeah. Uh, but he was a big boy. He was a strong big boy, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that I'll, this is just a thing that a lot of people lose sight of when they're working with uh, Pacific Islander youth. Because you look at Vincent and you're like, dang, he's a, a full-on man, right? He's got grown man strength as a ninth grader. But he was having a, he was just having a little kid outburst in the moment, mm-hmm. right? He, he was having a moment and when any other kid has a moment, an educator can step in and help de-escalate. But when you see somebody that's like big like him, you have a different reaction. And I'm glad that I was able to be in a role like that because I knew, A, he wasn't going to hurt me, so I wasn't afraid of that. But B, I just had to like give him the space and just let him th- have the tantrum and like give him a hug and help de-escalate it. Um, but people who don't know our youth and don't know our community walk into that situation and they call the cops. Like they would mm. freak out. Um, so I, that was just a really important story to share because, you know, growing up in the community allowed me to be able to step into that situation and help de-escalate it. And people from outside the community step into those situations and they're like going to tackle the kid and try to restrain mm-hmm. him. So, difference. Also want to mention that um, Aaron wrote a grant for all of our athletic programs to receive bank to do like summer camps and uh you know because honestly like you know as a coach we're uh, you know and i don't want to throw too much shade i think i I don't think athletics at highline right now is is at the forefront i mean and of course academics definitely is you know is the purpose of school um i just think there could be and you know we've had a tough run with covid but you know they, they've asked me not to fundraise mm-hmm. but there's so many things that we need uh, since then I mean I've been well provided for for multiple reasons uh, but that that camp that we went to do you guys remember that yeah so I do. that money like Aaron like I don't know somewhere between two to five grand for our program only 
So everybody, every program got that. And there's like, what, 20 sports? I don't know. There's like at least 15 um, had access to this pot. Uh, before going to the trip, also kind of helped uh, facilitate for Highline to do their grant, right? Which Evergreen has a new field, oh. new turf. I was just, uh, my nephew, who goes to Highline right now, um, was talking to my brother Jordan and was like, oh, we should, we should work out at Evergreen. They have a turf field. He was like, turf field? When did that happen? And that's because of that grant. Yep. Um, but besides that, we went on a trip to OSU. Um, we Oregon took, State University. Yep, yep. And we took five, five, five boys. It was Hendry, Elijah, Tony, Keela, and Hui. Um, the trip was so long ago. Yeah. What year was that? I don't know. 20... 2017? No. <laughs> I already graduated. A, Elijah was a fresh. Was it 2020? 2019? Uh, I think he was a freshman going, going into sophomore, sophomore year. I feel like it's 2019 because I don't remember wearing this year. Three, Yeah. Which, <gasps> so it was four years ago, at least. Or three and a half years ago. It's really funny because uh, that was like, I was probably our first time meeting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and like getting to know each other and uh, I needed another chaperone. Yeah. To take. Or I think Aaron asked me if I was interested and I was like, oh sure. Because you you had just started as the new head coach, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, and I've heard, I heard about you. I, I know Loa. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But I, didn't, I never met you yeah. until I think that point. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that that goes in like top, uh, you know, COVID really took it out of us because I had plans to do summer stuff for a while mm-hmm. and that was probably one of the best summers of my life, like, you know, top 10 for sure. Yeah, when we went on that trip, I was like, yes, this Played is what Spot we it. need. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they love Spot It. Yeah. And we were just playing on the sideline because they were <laughs> training, I would watch because the, you know, college coaches you know they really knew their stuff so i was like taking notes of the program they were mostly little kids and we brought a bunch of like high schoolers yeah um so it's like we we i mean it was kind of inflated like like deflating right like like they're like not really getting match practice mm-hmm. and um they kept talking smack to us on the sideline i remember at one point i was like you are my child I birthed you. Everything you do is because I taught you it. You move like me. You talk like me. You walk like me. And then they kept going around the campus calling me and Aaron dad. Mm-hmm. Hi, dads. Hi, dad. Mm-hmm. Hi, dad. And that, that became, I mean, Hendry still to this day. Yep. He says, dad, will you <laughs> will you show up to this thing? We call him my oldest son. And my origin story is just around wrestling because I was garbage as a wrestler. I, I'll openly admit it. Um, I was not that good. Um, I was a light heavyweight who kept on getting put into the heavyweight bracket because <laughs> we didn't have a heavyweight. And uh, uh, Chris Humphreys would just do me dirty sometimes and put me in some like very unfair situations. But what was dope is by my senior year, I had developed enough understanding of the sport that even if I was like outweighed by 50 pounds, I, could, I was competitive, right? Yeah. Um, and just going back to that theme around failure, right? Like I didn't win a match, a heavyweight match, until my senior year, right? So like for, for three solid years, I kept on taking L's because I was just smaller, right? And when I learned the sport and I realized that it matters, size matters, but it, it can actually be used as a way to leverage your strengths. Um, and it was the dopest feeling to be able to take out somebody who outweighed you by 50 pounds and to mm-hmm. like flip them in the air. Like it was, it was dope. And um, 
when I graduated and came back to Evergreen, I didn't actually have aspirations around helping with sports, but I'm glad. Uh, another match um, shout out to uh, Chris Humphreys because he said, hey, Aaron, we got a big boy. We just need somebody who can roll around with him a little bit. And I'm so glad he came and asked me to help because um, athletics and sports is a big part of me and it, just a, a bigger part of my philosophy. I think in the U.S., um, in America, we don't have these traditional rites of passage cultural moments that we have in other cultures, right? But in sports, we do have it, right? You become this like young little fresh freshman and the if you do a program right, you see the leadership development and you see the growth in our young people and they become the mentors and the, the leaders. And it, for me, it, it serves as a mechanism to create that rites of passage into young adulthood um, when you do it right. Uh, so for me, it's never been about winning or, or you know, taking home state championships. It's been about creating those opportunities to help our young people in our community become better human beings and and to create a sense of family and community. So I just wanted to share that point. Where, um, where does that come from? Where, because you kind of have instilled in you like, oh, I'm going to fail, but I'm going to keep trying until I get it right. Kind of like that story you just said, like you lost almost every match until your senior year. Where does that come from, your persistence? Because, um, you know, like you have... Like, uh, first-time wrestlers who join the first week and then you don't see them the second week. What made you want to come back every time? I That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Definitely my family. Um, I think being the baby of the family, being the third one, there is this sense of, like, I don't know, brotherly competition. So maybe there's an element of that. You know, one of the things that I actually say a lot is... Um, Learning to ask for help um, is a skill, and it's a muscle that you have to practice, right? And I think in the Latino culture, especially a young, among uh, young men and just men in general, we're machismo. We, we're going to figure it out. We have to, you know, like, we don't ask for help. Like, you know, that's embarrassing. And I'll probably give a shout-out to Carrie O'Brien, my one of my mentors, because she really instilled in me the idea of, asking for help and being persistent because asking for help and then not getting it um, is heartbreaking and for a lot of people they'll ask for help and then if they don't get the help or if the person doesn't respond or help you like you need it you kind of give up you know and you, you stop asking for help and then that that um, leads to you not getting the support you need to be successful and Carrie was not having any of that I didn't realize it but she was really helping me develop a muscle that has provided so many opportunities for me now because I just keep asking for help um, until I get whatever the support is that I need. Um, so a really good example was when I applied to colleges. So Carrie, for those of you who don't know, she's an upward bound specialist. She helps kids, first gen kids get access to higher ed. And I applied to basically all the public universities in Washington state and I got rejected from every university in Washington state. Because I'm, you know, I, I'm not a scholarly student, you know. I had like a, I always like to highlight this point. My freshman year in, at Evergreen, I failed a lot of classes. And I won't get into the whole story around that, but I'm not, I'm not a scholarly kid. I had to work really hard because my, my sophomore year, the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, Carrie sat me down and was like, so what are you trying to do, right? And 
I did what everyone says. Like, I want to go to college. I didn't know what that meant. So then Carrie, knowing what my GPA was and my situation, she sat me down and said, all right, you need to do this, this, and this to go there. And we identified what were the things that were keeping me from doing this, right? And one of the things that I, I'm so glad about Carrie is she sat me down and she made sure that my parents understood that if I was going to be successful academically and sports was like a mechanism that helped me keep stay engaged, that I wasn't able to work at the family restaurant that we were part of as much. Like I had to take a step back. And I didn't think that that was possible, right? Like in, in my brain, it was like, I have to work to be able to help my family. And it was nice to have a little bit of change as a high school student. So being able to make a short-term sacrifice in order to make a long-term gain was something that she really helped instill in me. And because of that, I was able to get my GPA to a 2.5 by the time I graduated. But just, to, you know how averages work, right? Like, I'm proud about a 2.5, but for other folks, they're like, that's, that's kind of low, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm super proud of it because I had to like double down by, by my, I got a whole bunch of B's and A's to help lift me up. So I failed, uh, I got rejected from all these colleges because I didn't have the GPA for it. However, um, if you actually took the time to look at my transcript, you'd see, well, homie has all these running start classes on his transcript and he's getting A's and B's in those classes. So clearly he's college ready, uh, but there's a story here. So Western Washington University, their uh, director of admissions, Tom Narini, another mentor, another person who helped me out to be successful in my undergrad, because I kept asking for help and I had to practice that. He did an interview and this is unorthodox. So they don't have like a process where they bring in like people who, so we got rejected. We, um, we appealed all the rejections, got rejected again, except for Western. And they didn't accept me right away. Did an interview, met with Tom Narini and homie accepted me on the spot, which was a trip. Cause I was a high school kid doing a, like a in-person interview with an adult who had a tremendous amount of power. And Carrie O'Brien was the person who drove me up there and helped me like get ready and not be nervous in this interview. And homie gave me a $5,000 scholarship at that meeting too. So not only did he accept me, but he also gave me a scholarship. And this is where I got my coffee addiction from because I told him, I was like, yo, Tom, like, I'm so grateful that you're giving me this chance. Like, what can I do for you? Right. And he said, all right, uh, once a month, come back here and we're going to check in. Mm. And that's amazing. I was like, okay, I can do that. But like, can I bring you like some food or, you know, and he was like, bring me a cup of coffee. I remember this too, because the first time I met him, I brought him like a mocha or something fancy. And he was like, nope, just black coffee. And like he was drinking a black coffee, so then I had to drink a black coffee. <laughs> and that's what got me hooked. I had never drank coffee until that first meeting with him. I just love the layers and levels of support. On um, just that, one of the things that I'm a, a chronic um, be late to my next meeting mm-hmm. kind of person. Yeah. For me, it's because whenever I'm being present with someone, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not going to worry about what happened before or what happened after. I'm going to be present. And sometimes that means that one hour check-in turned into a two-hour check-in or whatever. But I get a lot of flack for that because I'm never on time for stuff. But it's because when I when I am with you, I'm going to dedicate my time to be with you. I, uh, I Man, I, I feel that too much. I, I feel like every time except wrestling season, wrestling season, I just don't look at people. Just because I know it's going to take that time. You know what I'm saying? And I feel less present. It aches mm. inside me. Um, but at the end, I missed the season and all the grind and all that. So um, when we started off, you said uh, that you've been really busy this week. 
Um, I was just curious what, what you've been up to, which, what's been filling up your time. Whew. Um, so just a quick update, like where I'm at now. So I'd spent about six years after my undergrad working at uh, Evergreen, but since 2016, I've been very blessed to work at the White Center Community Development Association. So it's a nonprofit. I do have like a, an education background, but the work at the CDA is really grounded in community and sometimes the work has to be different. Uh, so currently, I'm a project manager for a development project um, because we're trying to build a community center. No, not trying to. We're going to be building a community center in White Center and some housing. And that's what I do day to day now. And the reason I'm sharing that is my background is in education, doing like college access work. But I also like to tell folks, like, the experiences I had in my undergrad as the AS Pop director, my experience with working with students, because sometimes it feels like my my job is just corralling adults who are acting like little kids to work together on a project. But I'm a project manager for a development project that's probably going to be, like, cheese, like $50 million, right? And if you look at my resume, it's like, hmm? Like, why are you doing a project like this? But it's because of the amazing leadership of Celie Savusa and, and her commitment to community and believing that this work, this community development work has to be driven by the community, that I've spent the last three years developing the skill set to become a community developer, right? And what I've learned is um, a lot of this work, like the skills that I've learned, they translate 100%. So yeah, I've never done development work before this, but I really have in so many ways. So that's what keeps me busy. That's my day job. And then on top of that, I'm also in charge of Highline Public Schools. So, you know, got to be in charge of 17,000 kids, a couple thousand staffs, and that kind of stuff. So between those two kind of jobs, I'm constantly going back and forth on where I'm putting in my time um, and energy. And on the the school front side, you know, I'm really excited. I think... um, I'm hearing that uh, CFAC might be making a recommendation to the school board next month about a future bond to help rebuild the Evergreen High School, Tai High School, and Pacific Middle School. But on top of that, we're bringing on board a brand new superintendent. Part of what I'm thinking, so as a school board, we're not actually in charge of the thousands of employees, right? We're in charge of one employee who is then in charge of the system. And I'm starting to think, all right, what are ways that we help onboard this new person? What are ways that are going to help them be successful? How do I really help build them up uh, to be successful, to handle the heat that comes with being a superintendent, but also like, how do we keep them aligned with the vision that we have now, but also give them space to run and imagine um, what they think is important to help get Highline to that next step? Um, So we do live you know, our commitment by knowing every student by name, strength, and need, and that kind of stuff. But really, like, how do we, like, build this person up to be successful? Because if they're successful, then all of our young people are going to be successful. So anyway, that's my, my, You're my busy, week. busy plate. <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit more about the bond? Uh, not really. Because... No. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is where it's like if you would have asked me that question four years ago, I probably could have told you a lot more. Uh-huh. But I know that the committee is going to be making a recommendation. But I'm no longer part of the committee. I have uh-huh. to be on the other end where I have to wait till they 
give a recommendation and like talk to us about it so by the time we air i'll probably know more about it okay yeah can you you don't have to give us specifics can you give us like general things that most people know but aren't content uh, or are, are yeah. you are you not allowed to do that either um it no no i, I could talk in not you don't have to say your opinion but just like yeah, I mean, what, I think anybody who knows the, what, me knows my opinion. What is the problem? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the process is that uh, this committee that it represents all the different municipalities, so I think we have over 40 different community members who are part of the Capital Facilities Advisory Committee, which is making this recommendation. Um, they basically do the buildings and stuff. Yep. They talk about what, how we do our capital facilities updates and that kind of stuff, right? They're going to make a presentation to the board. Then we, the board, get to decide whether we want to adopt or take that recommendation forward or not. If we do adopt it, then that means next fall there will likely be a uh, vote of the people who get to decide whether we want to build brand new schools in our community or not. I don't know if Aaron's allowed to share his opinion, but I think the opinion pretty much of Inside White Center, I, I can do this, right? I can... Uh, yeah. We're very supportive of this bond. Many Evergreen alum are very supportive of this bond. Um, basically, I mean, if you look at many of the schools that haven't been rebuilt, um, basically anything, so like before Chief Self, um, before, I mean, Highline's always been a building, but their building was basically leaking, uh, very like almost like dangerous, uh, and then Mount Rainier had their issue. But Cascade and Evergreen are, are built like California schools in mm-hmm. the Northwest. And we don't have California weather. We don't have California weather. If you walk down Cascade, I mean, I don't, I honestly, some facilities are not as bad as Cascade. Evergreen, uh, well, actually, if, if you walk down the breezeways, it looks worse than it really is. Because when it rains, those, like, you're, you're stepping in puddles, which you're not really supposed to be because the breezeways are supposed to keep them. I mean, if I walk down the breezeway with a coffee, a cup of coffee, I have to have my hand over the cup of coffee as I'm walking down the breezeway. When the bond comes out, um, if they accept it, um, and if you're listening, especially if you live in the Highline um, area, the Highline service area, please vote yes. Um, it would be a tremendous, I think, gift and you know resource to our kids. It does increase like taxes on some level, but it'll be replacing expiring taxes, am I right? Yeah, so um, the bonds that have helped pay for past schools are going to be expiring. So the way this is set up is that, honestly, from a taxpayer's perspective, you're not even going to notice a tax increase. It's going to be at the same rate that we are already at. So all we're doing is just asking the voters to continue the same rate. So it's like, you know, one of the best parts of this is it's not even a tax increase. That is one of the best parts. In my new role... The that thing that I just did where I was like, hold up, I now got to think about this layer and this layer. Yeah. That's what I've been learning over the last like year and a half. Like yeah. the complexity of I'm trying to be receptive to the frustrations and the concerns of the community. And then in the seat that I have, sometimes I understand I get to hear the inside scoop of why things are a certain way. And I'm still trying to learn how do I explain something to the community that just wants like action to get like they just want ish to get figured out they don't want to hear that backstory but the backstory is important especially if you're trying to do system change work meaning you want to get to the root of it and not just put a band-aid over something that's in a lot of pain and it's really difficult right so i I try to sit in space now where i just shut up and hear um people out because they don't want to hear the well if you think about this and this and this um 
but yeah, system change work is slow and it's painful and it's uh, difficult at times to really hear people out and also understand that there's a strategy or an approach that can get you to the solution, but it, it might not be at the same urgency or the speed that you want it to be. And I hate to be in that gatekeeper place. But I've also learned that, you know, sometimes like going full charge like a bull in a, in a what's the, China. in a China shop, doesn't work either. And it actually makes your ability to get the change that you want harder. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that point. Um, you also hired a new suit. What can you tell us about that? Um, so Dr. Ivan Duran is our new superintendent. He currently works at Renton Public Schools before that Bellevue. He came um, to Washington from Texas, I want to say Austin School District, but I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. And uh, Denver has an amazing wealth of experience. I think he is, uh, he is down to do some of the system change work that I often hear people talk about. And I, I just believe we're truly, truly fortunate to have somebody that has his kind of leadership and like ambition for this kind of work to be in this role. I'm super excited that we are going to have our first person of color leading our school district, a uh, school district that is super diverse. Um, and all the candidates were folks of color, right? Yes, sir. Nice. Beautiful. He's bilingual, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so the board of directors specifically chose him out of the... Out of the, all the finalists, yeah. Okay. And that is the only hiring process that we get to do. And the superintendent now is empowered to do the rest. Okay. So... And we get to, like, the way it kind of works is funky. So any hiring that they do do, they make a recommendation to us, and we either vote to approve or reject. Like, I always joke around that uh, my brother, he's a teacher at Hazel Valley Elementary, and I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> um, but the truth is, I don't actually have that power, right? There's so many layers, and that'd be, like, cronyism and corruption, and I would probably get, I don't know, <laughs> kicked out by the voters if I did that. And you know, um, as union folk, we go step in, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Big body in the pain. Yep. But but we don't actually, as a school board, we don't have that power. We have the power to um, fire the superintendent, but not anyone else in the system. Mm. Like, why why, why come to Highline? Why, why does he want to be here? He sees the direction that we're going, and it aligns with his values. Um, values around equity, of centering the, the young people furthest from educational equity. He truly lives that, believes that, and wants to be in a system that's ready for that kind of work. And I think he has the, the knowledge and experience to, to step in and, and move us forward. So I think that's part of why I think he was a really strong candidate, because um, it's hard. Some of the, when we're, when we're talking about racial equity and talking about dismantling systems of oppression and white supremacy that are embedded into all systems, but especially in, in education, you need to have somebody who has that strong conviction to step in and be ready to take some of the, the heat that comes with that. And he's ready. I think he is ready to step in and really say, hey, if we're going to truly serve this community that is so diverse, we, ha we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we have to step into this space because that's going to help our young people become whole. And not to run away from it, right? Like there are going to be people and community members that are not on board and we have to we have to create the space and time to help people get to that place to understand that if we're going to live that mantra of knowing every student by name strength and need it's going to require intentionality and it's going to require that our system 
do do things and s- approaches things differently, you got to be on board. And that's he's going to be a strong leader that I think can get us to that place. Because yeah, it just takes so much work and you can't just like I said earlier you can't just run in there uh, like a bull in a china shop uh, just wrecking things you really have to think about the strategy and the way of bringing people on board to get to that place oh um, director Faiza Bradford she just resigned but what I wanted to bring up something that she said often that I still really believe is she's going to be both Highline's biggest critic but also Highland's biggest supporter. And I share that because I coming into this position as a school board member, I had a lot of critiques. I had a lot of frustrations. And I, I was I'm learning how to like share those. But I, I'm also realizing um, going into the space how important it is to be able to um, constructively give that feedback to the one person I'm in charge of, right? Because I, I tell people like if I'm constantly just duking on like if you're a boss and your boss is just constantly uh, if you have a boss and they come up to you and they're just constantly telling you all the the dooky things that you're doing um you're not going to want to work for that and as a board of directors the the five of us we are the boss of the superintendent and we have to be honest and we have to have hard conversations and I say that to say that I have developed a, such a deep found respect for our current superintendent that I don't think I had before going into this. Because um, I just didn't know, right? Like, I didn't necessarily see, I saw the role and the position, I didn't really get to see the human being. And I think that's important to keep in mind too, that systems are just people. And I, you know, I have yet to meet a person who I'm not willing to sit down break bread with and get to know at a human level and we might disagree politically or have ideological differences but I've never have not been able to see somebody as a human being and I think it's important to be able to see people's heart and their who they really are and find ways to disagree with a little bit of grace Uh, but if you don't learn how to engage or have those kind of conversations then you're never going to get the change that you want to get. Hi, this is Pat Thompson with the IWC team. Thanks so much for listening to us. We decided that there was so much in this conversation with Aaron Garcia that we would make it a two-parter. So come back and listen to the second part next week. Thanks again. All things and what they used to be Oil wasted on the oceans and upon our seas, fish full of mercury.